morning and welcome to Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. I'm glad you're all here. If you're new or visiting with us, if this is your first time, I'd like to uh, extend a warm welcome to you and hope you feel that you are uh, welcomed here. Um, so uh, we'd love to talk to you, love to connect with you too. So please stick around after the service so we can chat. Um, well, I'll tell you what, we have a good passage this morning. Um, all the passages are good, but we have a particular passage this morning that we're going to look at that I'm, it's going to answer this question and the, the, the sermon title very clearly. Um, it is a wonderful thing. Basically, what is the title of the sermon? The title of the sermon is, Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? And uh, as we're going to see today in Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 23, we're going to see uh, Paul, we're going to see how Paul answers that. And it's some of it you may be familiar with, some of the stuff you may not be familiar with, but it's going to be good. And I will ask you as much as you possibly can, whether you had a late night last night, to stay awake, to stay as engaged as, as much as you can. I do have a wireless mic so I can move on up the sides. <laughs> and when you're not looking, jump out lurking around the corner. So I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but uh, there are certain privileges to having this wireless capability here. Um, so please, if you would, I, we have some great stuff, and Paul's going to be teaching us some central truths about who Jesus Christ is. And as we're going to find out very shortly, there are a lot of people in our world and in our communities who do not know how to answer this question, who is Jesus Christ? Um, so I implore you, this is, some, this is a great passage to remember, but to also listen closely so we can learn more about who Jesus Christ truly is. Um, but before we jump in, let's go ahead and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you that Paul wrote this. Lord, we, we need your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you and give you great praise that you have told us who he is, what he's done. Lord Jesus, you have sent your son to be the creator, to be the sustainer, and to be the reconciler of your people and this whole entire world. We love your son. Father, open up our hearts and our minds to learn more about you and your son. And we thank you for this passage. Teach us, Father. And uh, we ask all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. So let's begin this morning asking the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? How people answer this question, who is Jesus Christ, how, how people answer this question, how you answer this question, determines how you live your life, how your friends live their lives, how the community lives their life. And if you're a believer, it definitely should, right? Who is Jesus Christ? That question is incredibly important. And how you answer that does dictate how you live your life. Um, we're going to see that this morning. There's some good things and some good implications here. Well, this past week, um, as I was trying to think through this question, who is Jesus Christ? I wanted to find out, well, what do other people believe? What do other people think about who Jesus Christ is? So I researched a few religions. Uh, you should probably be familiar with their names. Um, and I also found out what they thought, and I'm going to give you that in just a moment. But I also went around and asked a few people in Leesburg, in our local community, who is Jesus Christ? And um, I got some interesting answers, and I'm going to tell you what 
what they said, how they answered, who is Jesus Christ? Some people, maybe you know, maybe you've run into them, maybe they've served you at a restaurant. Um, and so we're going to look at both of those. Um, so let's jump into it. Let's look at the world religions. Let's see how some world religions answer this question, who is Jesus Christ? We're going to start with first Islam. In Islam, Jesus is known as Isa, and he is one of God's highest ranked and most beloved prophets, specifically sent to guide the children of Israel. The Quran does not describe Jesus as the son of God, but as one of five major human messengers sent by God throughout history to guide mankind. The Quran also states that Jesus' message to mankind was originally very similar to that of other Islamic prophets from Adam to Muhammad. But, that, but also, but that's Jesus' message, was subsequently distorted by earlier Christians. Jesus was, however, according to the Quran, conceived also by the Virgin Mary, and they also believe that he performed miracles. The biggest difference between Christian Islam, among many differences that we do have, is that the Quran does not believe that Jesus is fully God, that he's fully divine. For that simple thought that Jesus is God is blasphemous. Rather, Jesus is merely a human. And because Jesus was only human, the Islamic religion does not believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So when you ask somebody, you, what is Islamic, how, how, what is Islam, how do they answer this question, who is Jesus Christ? Um, they would probably answer something like this. He's a great human prophet and a great teacher. That's about it. Judaism. Judaism, not unlike Islam, also believes that Jesus was only a moral teacher. Judaism states that Jesus Christ was an ordinary Jewish man living during the Roman occupation of the Holy Land around the first century. The Romans executed him, and they also executed other national and religious leaders like him during that time period for speaking out against Roman authority. Orthodox Judaism claims that Jesus was not even a prophet for the last prophet was Malachi, who came centuries before Jesus. Judaism does not accept that Jesus was the son of God. Rather, he was a false messiah. And if Jesus is a false messiah, then there is no possibility of him being resurrected. Then is there? Because he clearly cannot be God if he's a false messiah. So you ask, who is Jesus then? When in Judaism, he's a Jewish man. He's a teacher. He's fully human. That's who he is, nothing more. And Mormonism. For Mormons, however, uh, they give Jesus a little bit more credit than Judaism uh, when answering this question, who is Jesus Christ, but not a ton more. Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints claim on their official website that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, Savior, originally one of the spirit beings that was also human, and that he died for our sins. They also believe that Jesus had a physical body, but because Jesus had a physical body, therefore he was not God incarnate or fully God or divine, but rather was a man. What's unique is that this religion claims that Jesus Christ, the son of, he was the son of God, they do claim that, but that he's not God incarnate himself. They claim that he's the son of God, but not God himself, not God incarnate. Essentially, he is not the creator, but rather he is created. The Mormon church teaches that Jesus' purpose was to teach about God, not that he was God. 
For the Mormon church, it's not by Christ alone that you're saved. For Jesus is not fully God, nor is he able then, because he's not divine, to pay your debt for you to be saved in the fullest extent. Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses, like Mormons, believe Jesus was only a man and that he was, in fact, a created man. They misinterpret this passage that we're going to be reading here in Colossians this morning in order to prove that Jesus was a created being rather than being the, created, the creator. Excuse me. Jehovah Witnesses, as our official watchtower printings will tell you, Jesus is the Son of God, the Word of God, created by God, and who is also the Archangel Michael. Jesus was created in order to teach about God and to be a model of right ethical living, not to be God himself. Um, this is a Jesus plus religion, very similar to what Paul is dealing with in the Church of Colossae, Jesus plus something. Um, this is very similar. And they believe this, it, and they believe that in order to be saved for Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah Witnesses, you have to repent of your sins, call on the name of Jehovah, do lots of good works, and join a Jehovah Witnesses church because they are the true church, they say. And even then, your salvation is not 100% um, secure. So that's, what, that's just a little bit of the research I did. Some interesting thing, I asked a few people in Leesburg, who is Jesus Christ? Just ask them a simple question. This is what I got. Ron from Verizon, he said this, Jesus Christ is our creator and savior. He is all love. Justin from the restaurant Vintage 50, he said this, Jesus is more of a mystery than a man. I feel we know much less about him, his life, than we think. Uh, there's a guy, Toby, from a local metal band uh, that I know. He said this, For me, Jesus is no more a God than you or I. There is divinity in all of us. For me, Jesus came to free us from the old law. Jesus saw God in everything and knew that every man could find his way to God, to salvation, through the principles of love, tolerance, and humility that he practiced. And Brian from Red Hot and Blue, he said this, Jesus was a Jewish man. He spoke Aramaic. That's all. His honest response, and I really appreciated what he had to say. Um, he had told me he was uh, an atheist, but I said, I'd love to hear what you think anyway. Um, but so you can see, asking this question, who is Jesus Christ, is not a given, is it? It's not. It really isn't. Don't assume your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, um, they can answer this question or articulate it as crisply and as clearly as you think they might can. I hope they can, but don't always assume that they know. Um, a lot of people have ideas, they have opinions, but they don't necessarily know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ nor do they have necessarily maybe a biblical picture of what Jesus has done, what he's doing presently, what he's gonna do in the future. That's one reason why this passage is so important this morning and why I was kinda of, you know, telling you about the wireless mic and walking up because this passage tells us who Jesus Christ is. It's relevant and it's important to all of us. Um, and this is a great, great passage to be able to remind somebody and point them in direction. Colossians 1.15 
through 23 gives a great exposition of who Jesus Christ is. Let's take a look there. This passage is important. So please read with me. It's in your bulletin, but also if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to read Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, also in your bulletin, following along. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now, in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if you indeed continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you stop and think and read through all of what was just said, there's a ton there. This passage is simply amazing. But you have to stop yourself, quiet your mind, and think through some of the implications that have just been said in the passage. Some of it's blatant, some of it's implied. There's a lot here being said about who Jesus Christ is and the implications of Jesus Christ and who he is. I want you to see Paul is going to tell us crystal clearly who he is. There's a lot of good stuff here because Paul's going to tell us what Christ is doing presently, what he's done in the past, and what he's going to do in the future. This passage wonderfully answers the question, who is Jesus Christ? And because it's such a wonderful passage, because it's such a thick passage, with such thick theology about who the person Jesus Christ is, I'm going to read the passage to you again. You can never get enough scripture. But this time, as I read this passage to you, I'm going to use a different English translation. I'm going to be reading from the paraphrased version called The Message. So I'm going to be reading from the paraphrased version called The Message. Listen carefully. Verses 15 through 18. We look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. Verses 18 through 20. He was supreme in the beginning, leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From the beginning to the end, Jesus is there, towering far above everything, everyone. 
So spacious is he so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in Jesus Christ without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of Jesus Christ's death, his blood that was poured down from the cross to cover sins. Verses 21 through 23. You yourselves are a case study of what Jesus Christ does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble at every chance that you got. But now, by giving, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Jesus Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust constantly tuned into the gospel message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other gospel message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this gospel message. Church, there's much here. There's a lot of good stuff, so let's take a, let's take a little closer look and see what Paul has in store for us and what Christ wants us to know about himself in this text. We're going to first look at our first sermon point, if you're following along with your bulletins. It's Jesus Christ as creator. Jesus Christ as creator. First sermon point, looking at verses 15 and 16. In these two verses, we are first told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, for one thing, is a picture of in an image of God. He's a visible representation, a picture of whom we cannot see with our eyes because God is spirit. Some of you may say, that's all well and good. Jesus is an image, he's a picture, he's a visible representation of God. He is God, you might say, if you give me that. But uh, what's this firstborn of all creation business? What does that mean, that Jesus is firstborn of all creation? Because it kind of sounds like that this Jesus was kind of created. And at first glance, with no regard for scriptural context or consideration of other scriptural passages about Jesus Christ as creator rather than being created, you might think that too. But I will say this. If you put yourself, put, put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jewish man or woman or Greek man or woman, and then you might read firstborn a little bit differently if you put yourself in their shoes. Be reminded, we are reading this text in the, the 21st century. This was written in the first century. So it's quite a bit of years between us and those who are writing it. So we have to put ourselves a little bit more in their shoes to get a grasp of what's, what's going on here, what's being said. Firstborn does not mean that Jesus was created first. Rather, firstborn is a term of supremacy. Is it, a, it is a term that says Jesus Christ is due all honor and respect that could possibly be given to anyone. Kent Hughes, he's a scholar, an author, and theologian. He says this, um, firstborn is a term for first in rank and honor. And if you look at your bulletins, you'll also see Psalm 89 verse 27. It's provided for you, which helps describe this term 
firstborn as well in the Old Testament and how you'll see it's being used as an honor or rank, not a first creation aspect. We're even going to see in verse 16 how this verse 16 helps us further interpret verse 15. We're going to see that here. Let's read verse 16 together. For by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. All things were created through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is supreme, he is due all honor and all respect because he is creator of all things. He cannot both be created and creator. He is the outside force creating creation itself. When firstborn is correctly understood, the next verse actually makes sense. For everything that has been created through Jesus is ultimately created for Jesus's glory and his honor. The apostle John tells us the same thing in John 1 verse 3. John says this, all things were made through him, Jesus Christ, and without him, Jesus, was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator of all things visible and invisible. Nothing was made that was made without the voice of Jesus Christ speaking it into existence. Through Jesus Christ, simply speaking, the cosmos was created. Him speaking and the cosmos was there. And we see that in Genesis 1, that that's true. Through Jesus speaking, our world was created. The sun, the sky, the animals, the sea, the earth, created by him speaking. By Jesus speaking, through him speaking, man was given life. We were created from the dust of the earth and life was breathed into our nostrils and we were given the breath of life. Jesus Christ is the creator, not of only that which you see visibly, but also that which you don't see. Jesus Christ as creator, he created all visible and invisible things so that he might bring honor and glory to himself. You know, I understand, I can, I can see this. Some of you might think, man, that's really narcissistic. Created everything for his own glory himself. I can see how that might come to your mind, especially if this is a new concept. But I'm telling you, you aren't perfect like God is. I'm not perfect like God is. I, didn't, I wasn't there when creation was created, when the Lord spoke and boom, it was there. I don't understand what that's like, but I know he's perfect and I know he's good. And I also know that it's good that he brings all things back to himself for his glory. This concept of Christ creating for his own glory um, if that's something that's new for you, I have a pretty good book that helps kind of explain that. I'd, I'd love to recommend that to you after the service. So please come talk to me or one of the other pastors. Um, if that concept is something that's new to you. But next we're going to continue to see in Paul's letter that Christ is not only our creator, which he is, but we're also going to see that he's sustainer. That Jesus Christ is our sustainer. We're going to see this in verses 17 and 18. So this is point number two. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is our sustainer. Let's reread verse 17 together. Verse 17 says, 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is before all things, meaning that Jesus' existence is before creation of all things. This does not imply that Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, was created. Rather, what is implied in the perfect tense in the Greek is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has no origin, he holds continuously all things together, now and forever. He is holding all things. Apart from Christ's continuous activity of sustaining all things, all things would disintegrate and be no more. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. The Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Hebrews 1, 3. You know, physicists tell us that among atoms whirling protons and electrons, there's a vast space just like similar to what we have a space in our solar system. And though some have theories as to why atoms actually hold together or why, why simply planets aren't colliding essentially into others, there are those who have good ideas, speculations, but ultimately at the end of the day, we are creation and it is our creator who is sustaining and holding all things in place all the constants in our universe, in our world, we have those constants because we have a creator who sustains our world and who sustains his creation. And he is good. Jesus is not contained in matter, but you know, he holds all of it together. Who is Jesus Christ? He is sustainer of all things. And I know that concept sometimes is a little difficult, that this truth is difficult sometimes to get, the grasp. And to be honest, this is something, one, that um, I, I've got my finger on it, but I'm still trying to dive into more what all the implications are. Um, so I'm not going to tell you there. I'm all there. But I believe it, and it's good. The Bible tells me that it's good. And I'll, and I'll tell you this. When you see the hand of God moving actively in the scriptures and people's lives and events, when you see the overthrow or the creation of governments, the use of natural disasters, the control, the sovereignty in scripture of how God is using all things, he's holding, sustaining, and maintaining things throughout the scripture and the 66 books that we love. And when you see the hand of God moving in your life personally, you can then have a little bit better understanding. Yeah, I can see Jesus' hand sustaining all things. Gives you a little bit more tangible way to grasp this truth that Jesus is the sustainer because you know what? He is moving actively in your life. You can see his presence throughout Genesis to Revelation. And when you see that in the Bible and you see that only in your own life, you start to see, yeah, Jesus Christ is sustainer. He is controlling things. He is holding all things together for his glory. Paul also tells us that Jesus Christ is also the head of the church and that he's the first to be resurrected from the dead. As Christians, one day at the end of time, our physical bodies will one day too be resurrected like Jesus' body. But you know what? Jesus was the first to be resurrected. He was the first. And that's what Paul is getting at when he says, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. 
Now Jesus created his church, Jesus leads his church, and he sustains his church. And let me tell you, that is something that I have to remember, your other pastors have to remember, your session here at this church has to remember, Jesus is the head of this church, and he is the one whom we go to who guides us. He is the one who sustains us and leads us. And that's also a reminder to us too as your leadership. And Jesus, he does all these things so that he might be preeminent. In other words, so that Jesus might be supreme in and over all things in creation. Jesus created all things and he sustains all things. And he does this, why? Because he enjoys having his creation reflect back the radiance of his glory and his worth. Christ enjoys having his creation reflect back the radiance and glory of his worth. And that's a quote from John Piper. He uses it a lot, but it's a good quote. Christ chose to enter his creation, took on a body which was created and sustained by his power. He died and then he rose victoriously from the grave so that he might be supreme in and over all things so that he would be in reference to much of our sports terminology, simply number one in all things that he would be number one. I'm not talking like fantasy football, number one, all things, or top of the NFC East, number one, in your living room. Number one of all things, of all creation, that he'd be first and foremost and center of your lives. Hmm. Tell you what, that's not an easy thing, is it? It's a difficult thing, but it's something we have to fight for, isn't it? putting Christ back on the throne where he belongs. Many years ago, a South American company purchased a fine printing press from a firm in the United States. After the printing press had been shipped and completely assembled, the workmen could not get it to work properly. The most knowledgeable and skilled personnel tried to remedy the problem and bring the machine into proper alignment, but their efforts were to no avail. They could not get it simply to work. Finally, the company called the manufacturer asking the U.S. company to send a representative immediately to fix the printing press this South American company had bought. Well, this U.S. firm, sensing the urgency of this request to send the person who created the press, so they felt the urgency, they realized we need to fix this machine that we created, so what are we going to do? We're going to send the creator to fix it, and that's what they did. When the, when the representative of the U.S. firm had created the press and he arrived on the scene, the South American officials were skeptical for this man that the U.S. company had sent was obviously young and to his outward appearance was probably looking incompetent, like he wasn't up to the task. Because after some serious discussion, this company, the South American company, they were furious at the sight of this young man. And they sent a message to the U.S. manufacturing firm. They said this, your man is too young send a more experienced person, exclamation point. They seem pretty pissed off to me. And the reply came back from the U.S. company saying this to the South American company. You know what? He made the machine. He can fix it. And you know what? He can keep it running too. Church, when I ask, who is Jesus Christ? He's your creator. He's also your sustainer too. He truly is. 
He not only created us, but Christ fixes us, and he sustains us in our relationships, our families, on our hearts until the end when we put him first in our lives. Make him a priority in your life and your family's life. I'm telling you, you won't be sorry you did. You really won't. Our last sermon point comes from verses 19 through 23. 19 through 23. Here we see in point three, Jesus Christ is our reconciler. Reconciler. Let's take a look. Verses 19 through 20, they say this. For in him, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'll put a couple things jump out to me when I read these first two verses. The first thing that jumps out to me is the, the line that we just read. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's pretty loaded. The second line that leaps off the page, at least to me it does, is through him, through Jesus Christ, to reconcile to himself all things by the blood of his cross. Implications of that, you have to start thinking about that. It starts to jump off the page a little bit more. Let's look at the first line. In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In that line, I will ask you this. Is there any wiggle room in regards to Christ's position of deity for Paul, for us? Is there any wiggle room for Christ being fully God, fully divine in that line? For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. No, there's not. There's no wiggle room. Jesus is God, plain and simple. Paul is saying Jesus Christ is fully God. Yes, Jesus is human, but he is also fully God and that this is a good thing that pleases God the Father. It is a good thing. Other people and religions claim he's a mere man. But we can see through Paul, Jesus is much, much more. You can see through the New Testament, Jesus is much, much more than a mere human or a mere prophet. Much more than just that. He is God. This verse, among many other verses, makes this point clear. Let me, let me, let me just say this briefly. You either take the Bible at its word as truth, or you don't. There's really not really, there's really not an in-between. You take the Bible at its word, you believe it's true, and you take all of it. Or you, you have none of it. It's an all or nothing thing, believing in Jesus Christ. Believing Jesus is God or not. It's an all or nothing thing. It's not a small, trivial question, who's Jesus Christ? And I'm, con I'm content with my opinion. Not acceptable. Not good. The next line um, that we can see is that it is through Jesus Christ that we see in this picture, in this passage, Jesus Christ, he reconciles all things to himself. Reconciles all things to himself. I want you all to think about that. Let's unpack this and what this is saying. We've seen that Jesus created all things, that he sustains all things, but now Paul is telling us Jesus Christ is the reconciler of all things. All things, therefore, must include all people for all time and all creation, right? 
the all is all-inclusive, right? Yes and no. Universalists would take this verse and say, everybody, for all time, humanly speaking, goes to heaven. But that is not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that all people through all time and creation all go to heaven simply by being created. Jesus Christ is our reconciler, but it must be clarified that the all refers to all those who accept Jesus Christ, who put him first, who see him as Lord and Savior. For those who reject Jesus Christ have no part in him, says John in 1 John 1.23. Let me read that again. Apostle John tells us, for those who reject him, Jesus, have no part in him. Those who reject Jesus Christ will not be reconciled, will not be restored. The all is precisely qualified in verse 23 also, where it says, you are the one that is reconciled if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. This qualification simply states for those God has reconciled, all of them will be reconciled and they will stay true to believing Jesus Christ till the end and they will bear fruit to the end. Why? Because Christ has reconciled them. He has chose them and he's gonna hold them and sustain them till the very end. He will be with you. This is the theological point which theologians call perseverance of the saints. That Christ will hold you closely. He will sustain your faith until the end of time. Some of you, whether you're here today simply listening um, or maybe on the podcast listening, may ask the question, which I would ask as well, why do we need to be reconciled, for one? And does this reconciliation include the restoration of our world? We talked about God as creator of all the world, but does this, rest, this reconciliation, does this impact our world? Yes. Jesus will reconcile his creation, and yes, we need to be reconciled. Absolutely. Look at verse 21 in our text. You who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You who were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That applies to us. Does that sound like a person or people in perfect relationship with a holy, perfect God? It does not sound like we are in a perfect relationship with God apart from Christ. Listen to these passages and you'll see why we in the world around us need to be reconciled by Jesus Christ. Listen to these verses. They're also in your bulletin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 through 12, none is righteous. No, no one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one person. Romans 8.20 through 22, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Does that language make seem like things are okay? Apart from Christ, we are okay? That our world's okay? If you're still not convinced, um, pick up your newspaper. Pick up the Washington Post. Another newspaper, whatever it may be. Read about the murders, the hit and runs, the earthquakes, volcanoes, terrorist attacks, government corruptions, scandals, lies, lust, and all the other wonderful depraved things that simply are recorded in our newspaper. And, and ask yourself, are we as a species and we as a world, do we need to be reconciled by a holy and perfect God? I think, yeah, I think we do. Bible tells us we do. And, but you know what? We have a reconciler because it is Jesus Christ who's a reconciler. So we do have hope despite the bleak picture. Um, that's very easily painted just by looking around us. We have exactly what we need and what our world needs, which is Jesus Christ. And the method with which this reconciliation happened, with which we need, it came through the death of God's own son, Jesus Christ. Take a look at the text. You're going to see this. Making peace by the blood of the cross, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is a reconciler. He is God. And he cares enough about you in this world to willingly give his life for it, to shed his blood on the cross so that we might be reconciled to him. And so the world which we corrupted and subjected to frustration and futility also might be restored. It's reconciliation for us and our world. Is Jesus Christ not a good God who cares about his people and creation? Is he not the God that we want, that we need? He is. He is all we need. And it would be good for us to, rem to continually fight to put him first in our lives. I want you to also let you know this reconciliation process, it's explicitly one-sided. It's one-sided. Jesus Christ is fully God and he brings us to himself. It's not a we meet him in the middle. He goes out and pulls us in. Reconciliation is a one-sided process and Jesus is good to us. He went to the cross pay for our sins so that we might be reconciled to the world and that one day at the end of time our world might be restored to its perfect design this is a message of hope that we have that we often take for granted in the bible and that we could easily read through colossians 1 15 through 23 but this is a message of hope paul's answering in colossians 1 15 through 23 who is jesus christ he's answering this for us this is a great text for somebody who doesn't know who he is, to take a look and see what the Bible says about who Jesus Christ is. 
if you've never known what to believe about Jesus or you've marginalized him yourself, maybe you've thought, maybe he's simply a good guy, he's a moral guy, he's a good teacher, he's a rabbi, he's a religious guru. If that's your thought process, then I would simply say this. I would challenge you to take a closer look at what the Bible actually says about Jesus. Take a closer look at what the Bible says about Jesus. Read the book of Colossians. Read the Gospel of John. Read any of the Gospels. Or come talk to me or one of the other pastors or one of the other elders or deacons here at Potomac Hills. We'd love to talk to you about who Jesus Christ is. Love to talk to your friends about who Jesus Christ is. It would be a pleasure and an honor to do that. Absolutely. What I'm saying is do not be satisfied with simply an opinion about who Jesus Christ is or a thought of maybe he's like this. I don't want you to, if I was to ask you, say he's a mystery, like one of the responses that I got. Find out more about him. This is a question which with you need to have a conviction. You need to have a conviction about who Jesus Christ is. Opinions simply are not going to do. They do not suffice. Because what you believe about Jesus Christ and who he is is going to change your life one way or the other, whether you know it or not. If you do believe in Jesus Christ as your creator, as your sustainer, and your reconciler, then my challenge to you is simply this, and I'm about to eat my own words live like it. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, live like it. Obey what he says because you know he's good and he's true. He's not pulling your leg, just giving you a moralistic lineup of things to do to feel good about yourself. There is much more going on when he gives us good, solid commands or things to obey, things to believe about him the Trinity, about the Bible at large. I would tell you to live like it, and I have to eat that myself. Um, I would also say, ask the Lord to make himself real and known to you in your life so that you might see his presence, you might see his hand moving more clearly in and through you or in and through other people. I would tell you to do that. Experience God's hand moving continuously through your life Ask him to show you how his hand is moving continuously, sustaining all things in the Bible because he is, and he will open your eyes to it. Um, ask Jesus to make his presence known to you so that he might give you the right motivation to obey him and to believe the things. We need that. We are people a lot of times who can do good things and have wrong motivations. We're all included in that. Ask him to give us right motivations to put him first in our lives. Not perfect this, my friends, my family, they can vouch for this. My coworkers can vouch for this. I don't do it right. I don't get it right. But we have a gracious God whom we serve and whom we love who's gonna pour out love and grace on you when you screw this up because you are gonna screw this up. And I know you probably might have even screwed it up this morning. Maybe many of you um, had false motives about things yesterday, the day before, or had done something wrong. It's probably a list of things. God's grace is there to cover you, to help be with you, to help put him back first, time and time again, 
When you put something else on that pedal stool, God's grace is there for you so you can put Jesus Christ back on that pedestal and make him number one. He loves you. He's not gonna leave you. He created you. He's gonna sustain you. And he's reconciled you once and forever. I know there's many distractions out there in this world. I, I live in Northern Virginia. I've lived here my whole life. Not oblivious to that, the hustle and bustle of living here. But um, if you truly want to live live and live well and to know peace and to know God's joy in a much bigger way, which I, I think probably most of you probably do. If you want to lead your family well, if you want to see God use you in mightier ways, to see him continually using you still, if you want to enjoy what God has created on this earth, even more so to taste it and see that it is good, to see that Christ has reconciled things and that he's drawing things back to him. Put Christ first in your life. Pray that Christ would be first in your life. Read scripture so that you can see how Christ is good and he's worthy and valuable to be first in your life. Get in Christian good community so you may see other people help model what this looks like, Christ being first. This is good. Church, the Lord's going to give you lots of good ideas of how to live this out. I'm not going to draw all the applications. There's some in the back of your bulletin. But the Lord wants to be first in your life. And you know what? When you fail, Christ went to the cross. And he's going to love you even when you don't get it right. But who is Jesus Christ? He's your creator. He's your sustainer. And he is your reconciler. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are true. You have created us. You sustain us. And you have reconciled us. Lord Jesus, we need to know who you are. Show us more and more of yourself each and every day. Draw us near to you through prayer, through scripture, and through good Christian community. Lord, you will also draw us to yourself in many other ways. But open up our hearts, Father. Open up our hearts and minds to see that we have very often placed you second in many avenues and many areas in our lives, and we need to put you back on the throne where you belong. Give us the help we need to do that. Give us the right motivations to do that. We thank you that you're good and you're gracious. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.